Well, it's great to see all of you this morning. Uh, great. Those of you who are online, welcome and big welcome to my peeps over at West Falls Church, uh, where I am most Sundays these days. It's great to see you guys at West Falls Church. We are in our final week of this uh, series on relationships called Just Dance. And um, I, I want to start out by just offering an apology for, for last week's message. For those of you who, um, who were with us last week or, or were with us online, um, i got to apologize because I was making this illustration about how conflict is so important. It's the crunch in, in, the, in that marriage and in that relationship that we need that makes it great. And I, and I had these chocolate-covered Oreos that I had, and I realized after the fact that I was woefully unprepared with the number of chocolate-covered Oreos that I brought. And it just was pretty lame because really, unless you were sitting right here in the front, which can be a fairly intimidating place to sit, I mean, it's not like, you know, you're going to come all the way down, you know, from, from up top or whatever. Um, and when West Falls Church, you know, I was just thinking about you guys. And so I, I wanted to try and make amends this Sunday. And so I actually, I, I've, I've got something better than an Oreo, chocolate-covered Oreo cookie. Um, I discovered these, I'll tell you the story in a minute, but they're called Tim Tams. Anybody heard of a Tim Tam? Okay, so these are actually better. So what I want to do, and ushers are going to help me in West Falls Church, John and the usher team out there are going to help. Just go ahead and start passing those out right now. But basically, I want to I distribute these among the different sections here this morning. So if you're excited, if you're excited about a Tim Tam, you're just, I'm going to throw it to you. Here you go. Here we go. You ready? Here it comes. All right, who else? I got two per section. And you got to share with your friends. So take, take one, take one and pass it, all right? I'm coming back to the back. There we go. And then I got this section over here. Yeah, right here. And come on, who else is fired up? Okay, so again, just take one and pass it. Share it around with your friends. Enjoy, all right? This is, this is going to be fun. Now, let me try and explain why I'm handing out uh, Tim Tam cookies, all right? So after the service last week, I was at the, the Graceland Spring Fling event. And um, when I was there, somebody came up to me and said, you know what? Great service, uh, you know, today. Really enjoyed the sermon, but you're wrong about the Oreo thing being the best thing ever. It's actually a Tim Tam. And she had packages for me. She handed them to me and I had to try one. And so... Um, so I tried it, and you guys, some of you are tasting it right now. It is, it is actually better. It, it, and I had to come. I had to, I had to say, I know I said last week the Oreo was better. No, this is actually better. And the reason that it's actually better is because when you, look, when you look at this thing, what you see is obviously you've got the delicious milk chocolate coating on all sides, right? And the crunch in the middle. But here's the X factor. There is actually a strip of smooth, creamy milk chocolate that's running through the middle of this crunch. So, I mean, it is absolutely this perfect ratio. And we're going to talk about a perfect ratio today. But here's the other thing that puts a Tim Tam over the top. And some of you, maybe you're from Australia and, you've, and this is where these things came from. Or maybe you know this thing, but there's something called a Tim Tam Slam. Has anybody heard of the Tim Tam Slam? Okay, I see a couple hands. The Tim Tam Slam is you actually take a little bite of one corner of the cookie like that, and you take another bite of the other corner of the cookie. And what happens is now, if you've got your coffee, and you better not have snuck it into the auditorium, okay? But if you've got your coffee, 
you can actually use it as a straw. You can drink, <laughs> suck some coffee or some milk through that thing, and then you just slam it back, and it is absolutely awesome. So that, that, that makes it the winner. It is the ultimate, that is the ultimate thing. You get this beautiful crunch, but you've got this incredible ratio, and then you can slam your coffee through it. I mean, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. So, so here's the deal. The, the reason that we, we talked about the, the chocolate-covered Oreo and we're talking about the Tim Tam today is because last week, the, the, the point of, of the service was that conflict, we are kind of our default assumption is that we think about conflict as something that's hard, it's difficult, it's painful, it's something to be avoided. And the more we can minimize it in a marriage or in any relationship, the better that relationship is going to be. That's our prevailing assumption. But actually, that's incorrect. And we looked at some Proverbs, and we talked about the fact that actually conflict is essential. It is the crunch that makes the dessert so good. And it is, it's the catalyst for change, and it is the opportunity for growth that every marriage needs, and really any relationship, work relationship, uh, friendship, family relationship, whatever it, it may be, that moves that relationship forward and helps us to grow as well. But where we left last week was talking about this, that no matter where you are with conflict, okay, so be encouraged. If you're just terrible with conflict, okay, like you just run from it, or every time you get in a conflict, you absolutely just set, a fi- set the house on fire, okay, or you just don't manage it well at all. No matter where you are with conflict, here's the good news, this is where we left off last week, is that no matter where you land on this whole conflict thing, there is something we're going to talk about today that actually trumps this whole conflict deal. And if you can apply this to your marriage or to whatever relationship applies to you, you will find that you can have a great marriage or a great relationship no matter where you are in this whole conflict thing. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I got to tell you, the, the, the early church, the first century church, those first Christians, they experienced some conflict, you guys. Like, constantly their lives were just filled with conflict. Because think about this, okay? The big thing that first century Christians were going around saying, there's really only one thing, and that was, you know, this guy Jesus, okay, Jesus of Nazareth, he wasn't just some teacher, some prophet, some wise sage. He actually, after he died, he was resurrected from the dead, proving that he is God. And and this was the claim. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the Lord of all. He is the Lord. Now, by saying those words, the fundamental tenet of Christianity, that was putting those Christians in opposition with all the authorities of their time, right? So for the Jewish authorities, you couldn't say that that a mere mortal, a human being, was God. That was blasphemy. That's actually why Jesus was crucified, for his claims to be God. It's impossible. That's blasphemy. Okay, And then the Roman authority of the day, right? the Roman Empire that ruled that region, according to the Romans, who was Lord? Does anybody know? Caesar was Lord. The emperor was the deity to be worshipped. That was the ultimate authority on everything. Caesar is Lord. So when you were saying Jesus is Lord, you were in direct opposition to the highest power in the land. And so... Basically, the deal was, just by being a Christian back then, your life was complete conflict. And not just to the authorities, but even within your family structure and network. I mean, you just, it's, it was crazy. So the Apostle Paul, 
um, who is arguably the greatest Christian who ever lived and wrote a lot of the New Testament of the Bible. He is writing a letter to the early church. And he's, uh, what we're going to take a look at today is a, a verse in the letter of Philippians. It was a letter to the church in Philippi. And so Paul, who was no stranger to conflict, in fact, he had experienced more conflict than really anybody else. He was constantly under attack. And as he's writing this letter to this church in Philippi, he is actually writing this letter from prison. He is in prison. And so he's writing and he's encouraging this, this group of early Christians to how they get through this conflict and this struggle. And what we see, if you've read this letter to the Philippians in your New Testament, what you see is that in the first chapter, he's saying, you know what, it's, it's all good. I know you're suffering, you know, and we're struggling through this, but you know, Christ suffered and we're sharing in his struggle and we're sharing in his glory. And he's basically saying, you know what, take heart, you guys, take heart, because this is the, the, the road that Jesus took. This is the path that God has for us, but God is on the move. God is working through all this. God is using this conflict and people are coming to faith and this message is being spread. So take heart. It's, it, it, this is a beautiful thing, even though it's this conflict, it's this struggle. So he goes on through this letter to the Philippians and he gets to the fourth and final chapter of the letter. And basically you see this theme and now he's kind of summarizing everything. And, and so in chapter four of Philippians, he's, he's summarizing and he's basically saying, look, you got to rejoice always, always rejoice Never stop rejoicing. And then the next thing that he talks about is we've always got to be praying, right? Come to God and just pray and give thanksgiving, but we're always rejoicing. We're always praying. God is at work. And then he says these words in Philippians 4, verse 8, and these have such tremendous application, not just 2,000 years ago to this church that was dealing with all this crazy conflict, but man, this has incredible application to our relationships today, especially in the midst of conflict. This is what Paul writes, Philippians 4, 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, so here's it, here's the crescendo, okay? Finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So think about this. This church is constantly under siege, in turmoil. There's all sorts of conflict. And in those moments, and we all know this, don't we? And when we're in the midst of a storm, when we're in the midst of a struggle, when we're in the midst of conflict, it is so easy for our focus to be on the struggle. It's, we can't help but be focused on the conflict, on the turmoil. And what Paul is exhorting to this group of people is he's saying, look, bottom line, you have to forget the negative and focus on the positive. And those words were so true then, they are still true today. And today I want to look at them in the context of our relationships. Okay. We're going to be talking about marriage, but these apply to work relationships, friendships, family dynamics, okay? You take your pick, whatever applies to you, all right? But here's the bottom line. We must forget the negative and focus on the positives. And this is actually the essential ingredient to what makes a healthy marriage, okay? If you want to know how is a marriage strong, 
The answer is not just minimize the conflict. Just find a way to get rid of the conflict. If you can just minimize that, your relationship's going to be good. No, not at all. You need conflict. But what you need is you need to stay focused on the positive. And what's fascinating is that, so here Paul pens this incredible wisdom inspired by God 2,000 years ago, but the research absolutely backs this up. So I talked about this guy, John Gottman, um, who is a very, very famous psychologist, marriage counselor, but he's most famous for his research. He's actually done scientific research, studying relationships, studying marriages, what makes them work, what makes them healthy, and he can actually predict what, what, if a marriage is going to work or if it's going to fail. And you know what he's found? That there is a magic ratio. Okay, so if you're like into science, you're into math, okay, there is actually a formula, okay? So get ready to geek out over this. This is a, this is a formula, all right? And the formula is five to one. It's five to one. That's what, he's, that's what he's discovered through actual research, observation, and, and you know, years and years of study. What he's found is that in order for a marriage, okay, or you can apply it to a different sort of relationship, all right, but in order for a marriage, that's what he was studying specifically, to be healthy, to be good, you need five times as many positive interactions as negative ones, five times as many. So it's not actually about as much about how you fight, it's about how you make up, all right? So that five to one is kind of like the Tim Tam. You got all sides, that nice, smooth, milky chocolate and a little strip running through the middle. That's why this is perfect, all right? So the bottom line is you have to stay focused on the fives. Now, we, we, our tendency is, oh man, we're gonna rehash the conflict. We're gonna figure it out, you know, but that's where our minds go. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Listen up, listen up. It's not, it's whatever's noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Whatever's excellent, praiseworthy. That's where we need to focus. So what I want to talk about, I want to get real practical for a minute. And I want to talk about the fives. I want us to focus on the fives, okay? Now, the beautiful thing about this is that these positive interactions, they don't have to be like this amazing trip to the Cayman Islands or these exotic dates or, you know, these incredible surprises that you do for your boss or, you know, some friend that you've had a struggle with. It doesn't have to be this crazy expensive thing. It doesn't cost us a lot of time. Check out how super easy and practical these things are. And I borrow much of this from, uh, from John Gottman's research. Um, and, and I got this from his book, Why Marriages Succeed or Fail and How You Can Make Yours Last. So I want to talk about five. There's, there's an exhaustive list, okay? But, but th there's just five that I want us to talk about and get practical with. And the first one, the first of the five is listen. Listen. We talked about this last week, if you recall. Um, we talked about confronting respectfully and listening without getting defensive. But what I mean by listen is actually taking a sincere interest. It's not just like hearing the person with your ears, but taking a sincere interest in what the other person is saying, which means you put this down, okay? Put your phone down, you turn away from the screen, and you make a sincere attempt to listen to the other person. This actually scores points on this five to one ratio, okay? This is putting the milk chocolate around the crunch of the cookie. And basically, you can get bonus points. You can get more than one point, for nodding, okay, and for even this, mm-hmm, uh-huh. You don't even have to talk. You don't even have to utter a word. Look in their direction 
and make some sort of nonverbal grunt or moan, okay? And you can get multiple points toward the five, okay? I want to read this quote because we can laugh about this, but in all seriousness, listening is is incredible. Uh, Look at what Bryant McGill says about listening. He says, one of the most sincere forms of respect is actually listening to what another has to say. It's easy. It's free. Well, it's not always easy, but it is free. Um, it's, it's quite simple to do. All right. Number two on the fives, it is care. Care. This is just really basic again, but it's, it's showing you care. This can be as simple as sending a text to your spouse or, you know, whoever, that person that you're trying to build this, build up this five to one ratio with, just say, hey, I'm thinking about you right now. You know, they're going into a big meeting that, you know, it's been a tough day. You're just checking in. It is so easy. Just a few words, boom, on a text. You're good. Okay. Or it can be something, you know, bring home some flowers for your spouse or, you know, fix a meal that you know that they would like, or this is a huge one. Okay. If they're upset, instead of trying to like, like calm them down or argue devil's advocate, just be upset. Okay. (laughs) They're upset. You're upset. That shows you care. All right. Number three, touch. All right. Now, this one, I'm going to talk to married couples for a minute about this one, okay? Because this is, this, this is a big deal. And, and, and husbands, I, I want to blow your mind for a second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce you to a term, um, and it is called non-sexual touching, okay? Non-sexual touching, husbands. It's actually a thing, okay? And you can do this. But basically, this is what it is, just because you're like, what, what is that? What, what does that mean? Okay, I'll tell you, okay? Just, just stay with me. So what that means is that you are touching your wife purely just in a way to express your love, but you're not, the end goal isn't to have sex with her. That's what non-sexual touching is. It's stuff like holding hands, um, just sitting close to one another, showing that nice affection towards one another. And I want to challenge you husbands out there to do this every single day, every single day, non-sexual touching. Now, wives, wives, that whole non-sexual touching thing, let's just strike the non out of there, okay? <laughs> and that's how you can score some big time points with your husband. But here, here's the thing, here's the thing. This actually might be the easiest one of all the five. Because you can do this without even looking at them. You can be sitting on the couch watching Netflix and you just have to sit close enough so you are physically touching the other person. And we laugh about this, but married couples, you know that especially when there's been conflict, when there's been a rift, you want that space, you want that separation, right? Just remember when you do that, you are not building that five to one ratio there. You're not putting enough of the nice creamy chocolate coating on your Tim Tam cookie. All right. Now let's go for number four. Number four is appreciate, appreciate. Now I recognize that this can be hard, particularly um, when you're in a difficult, difficult relationship. But the idea here really goes to the heart of Philippians four, eight. You are just to find something, okay? And again, that might be like searching for a needle in the haystack. That might be like, okay, thank you that you put the toilet seat down. Or it might even be like, thank you that you didn't pee on the toilet seat or whatever it is, right? But I mean, it could be so just like, you know, all right? 
But whatever that thing is, find something. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, find that thing and lift it up, okay? Find that thing and lift it up. Express it. Hey, thank you. I just want to appreciate it. Forget all the million things that's driving you crazy about your spouse or about, you know, your coworker or about your friend or whatever, but find a way to appreciate them. All right, last one. The last one, this is a powerful one, is laugh. You know, um, especially in a marriage, you guys, this is something that happens all the time when we're courting, when we're dating. Um, and then somehow, you know, we can, we can sort of lose the magic a little bit as we move on in our marriage relationship. And, and one of the things here is just find a way. Let's try and get back to what the kind of stuff we talked about, joked about, laughed about, the inside jokes, the silliness that we had when we were dating. Okay. And just the the, the thing here is just don't take life so seriously all the time. Sometimes we just got to laugh at ourselves. We're in the middle of an argument and it's stupid. Let's just say this is stupid and start laughing or whatever. And again, you can see the parallels, not just for marriage, but in, in any sort of a relationship that's a struggle, this laughter is powerful. It breaks tension. And it's, it's incredible. The power of a laugh or a smile. Now, um, one of the things that um, I just want to acknowledge at this point is you're like, you know what, Derek? Okay, that's, that's great. Those five things, I'm sure they're powerful, and I'm sure with all due respect to this guy, John Gottman, and even the Apostle Paul and these words, like, that's cool. I, I believe it. You know, we got to forget the negative. We got to focus on the positive, and that all makes sense. But here's the thing. Can we just be real? When I'm really ticked off at somebody, when I've really been hurt, I, there's nothing in me that wants to do any of these five things. <laughs> I mean, I can know them. Great, listen, care, touch, appreciate, laugh. No, not happening. Because I'm ticked, right? There's no motivation. There's nothing in you that says, I want to do this thing. I don't really even feel like I want to repair this. They don't deserve this right now. I-, I am like a Tim Tam cookie that's been stripped of all the good, delicious, smooth coating on the outside and even that strip in the middle. And maybe you're here this morning or you're with us online at West Falls Church, wherever you are, and um, you, know, you're, you're, you remember that, that verse from last week we looked at, that wisdom uh, in Proverbs 27, 6, that says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. And you're like, see, that's just it. When I've been wounded enough times, I no longer trust this person. And in fact, I don't see them as a friend at all. I see them as something completely different. And maybe in your marriage or in whatever that relationship is that's really hurting right now, when you look at that other person who has wounded you and you've had some stuff that you guys have been dealing with, instead of seeing that other person's face, this is the face that you see. And all you see is an enemy. You see Darth Vader, right? Shameless plug at the movies next week, all right? It's going to (laughs) be awesome, all right? One of the greatest scenes ever, Darth Vader scenes in Rogue One. You are not going to want to miss next week when we kick this off, okay? So shameless, shameless plug, but, but for real, all right? You know, and you know what I'm talking about. When, you, when you're really going through it, 
all right? You don't see that person's face, do you? That person isn't a friend. They are what? They are your enemy, right? You feel like this person is absolutely diametrically opposed to you. They are the enemy looking back at you. And here's what I want you to really meditate on. If, you, if, if that resonates with you, even in a small way, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've been wounded. This, this person really feels like my enemy. Okay. Yeah. I I do feel that. If that resonates with you, even in a small way, here's the deal. I want to share a truth with you. Okay. And and I, I want to focus in specifically on married couples for a minute. Okay. So here's the deal. Married couples. There is a conference that's put on by a group called family life. And it's a marriage conference called weekend to remember. And tons and tons and tons of people have been through this marriage conference. And it's about 15 hours worth of conference content. And the number one takeaway from that entire 15-hour session, there's one thing that by far and away rises to the top. What was the biggest aha? What was, what was the lightning bolt moment? What was, what was the thing for you? And when couples say, this is the thing that kind of set our marriage on a different course, on a different trajectory, this was the game changer for us. You want to know what that was? Okay, it was this. My spouse is not my enemy. Nope. My spouse is not my enemy. Okay, some of you have been, (laughs) and that's why you're clapping, because that was your number one takeaway, all right? My spouse is not my enemy. My spouse is a gift, a gift from God. Now, for some of you, your mind just was blown right there, okay? Like, you you can't even understand what I just said. So, so let me, let, let me, let me just, let's, let's try and just work with me for a minute before you just completely, you know, slump onto the floor. All right. If, if it's God's will that we are to be sanctified. Okay. That's what first Thessalonians four, three, it says it is God's will that we should be sanctified. Big word. You know what that means? That means to be made holy right? Essentially, practically speaking, what that means is we are becoming like Jesus Christ, okay? So that's practically, that's what it means. If it's God's will that we should be sanctified, made holy, become like Jesus Christ, that's the goal. It's not actually our happiness, it's our holiness, right? It's not our comfort, it's our character that God is most interested in. If that is the case, that that's God's will for us, that we'd become more like Jesus, then is it possible, married couples, that your spouse isn't an enemy sent by God to torture you, but maybe they are a gift from God? And even in their quirkiness and all that stuff, right, and some of the things that frustrate the heck out of you, that God is actually giving you opportunities to be patient, to be gracious, to serve and to love them, to bear with them. If it's God's will for us to become more like Jesus Christ, is it possible that all the things that really frustrate the heck out of us about our spouse, those differences that we just, why can't they just be more like me? You know, man, why couldn't they be, I'm a, I'm a saver. Why couldn't they more be, you know, why are they such a spender? I'm a planner. Why, why are they so stinking spontaneous? You know, um, all those things on and on those, those frustrations, those things that we want to change about those other, that other person. Is it possible that instead of that just being super frustrating and God just doing it just to, ah, just to get us, 
Instead, like God's saying, you know what? This person is actually a gift. Those differences are balancing you out. They're rounding you out. They're making you a more well-rounded, balanced person. Is it possible that your spouse, as crazy as this might sound to you right now in the midst of whatever you're going through, that they're actually a gift. Like if you've ever heard this expression, your spouse is your God mirror. Like it's a mirror. They're the person who knows you the best. They're the person who basically is able to give you more honest, direct feedback than anybody else in your life. Woo, that's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But is it possible that that's actually a gift? That God would say, I'm interested in your character, not your comfort. I'm interested in your holiness, not your happiness. Is it possible that your spouse is actually a gift from God? They're not an enemy sent to torture you. So here's the thing. If as we went through those list of five things, if you were just like, yeah, I get those here, but there's no way I can do those. Like I'm just, those are not going to happen. Okay. I want to challenge you to meditate on this idea that your spouse is not your enemy, but they are a gift from God. And we can translate that to many other types of relationship where we demonize the other person and we no longer see them. Maybe the way God sees them. Now, I just want to say that there are some of you who are here at West Falls Church with us online and you are in a relationship with someone and it's not good, it's not healthy, and you're being treated in a way that is abusive that is absolutely not right. And you, that your spouse is not your gift. Or you're in a relationship and that person, they are not a gift from God. So don't, don't hear me and think, oh, okay, this person's doing all these terrible things, but they're, I guess they're a gift. I guess this is, this is all part of the deal. No. Okay? So that's something that you've got to work through. But for those of us who are in relatively healthy relationships, biblically functioning relationships, non-abusive relationships, Wrap your mind around this fact, this truth. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse is a gift from God. If we can do this, it is an absolute game changer. We start with our head and it works from there. And all of a sudden, those fives, you're able to focus on those. And all of a sudden, your whole relationship is completely different. Now, uh, I've included uh, for you guys here and those at West Falls Church in your bulletin, you saw a paper clipped in there. There's a card. I want you to go ahead and take that card out because that card has the scripture for today. This is the scripture that is the key to a great marriage, to great relationships. If we can keep focused on the positive, forget about the negative, focus on the positive. Okay, if we can do that, that trumps everything everything else. It's incredible, but the research actually shows that it's true. If you're with us online, just take a post-it note, take something, write it down. Philippians 4, 8, write down that verse. And here's what I want all of us to do with that verse. Okay. Take that card or take that post-it note and put it somewhere where you will see it every day. Put it in your bathroom, on your mirror, put it at your desk at work, you know, wherever, that, wherever you need that reminder. Put it in your car, whenever you start your car, whatever it is, 
Put it somewhere. And on the back, on the back is those five things, right? We focus on the fives. Those are those five practical things when you're pulling your hair out. Just start doing a few of those. You'll be, you'll be absolutely amazed at what will happen to the relationship. So that's the bottom line for today, you guys. What if, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of all the difficulty, what if we could forget about that and we could focus on whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I'm telling you, that is a game changer for our relationships. But I'll tell you something else. Easier said than done, right? Can I get an amen? Easier said than done. So we're going to need God's help, and so we're going to pray and ask God to help us. If you bow your head with me. God, in the midst of difficult relationships, it is so hard. We become so focused on the struggle, the conflict. God, help us to focus our attention on all of the good things, God. Help us to stay focused, positive. I just want to pray for marriages here. I want to pray for work relationships that are in turmoil. I want to pray, God, for friendships, for family struggles, God. Help us to set a tone. Help us to remember that person isn't the enemy. They're actually a gift. There is something to be learned. There's something beautiful if we can just push in. But God, we're going to need your help. And so we're just asking God that you would fill us with love that we don't necessarily have when we're in the midst of the struggle, that you would give us energy and strength and motivation for those who feel like that person in our life is the enemy. God, readjust our mind, open our mind to the possibility that they're actually a gift, that that might open the floodgates for us to truly love and serve them. And God, just help us this week. We want to be transformative in our relationships, but we can't do it without you. So we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.